What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Danny Jones is the host of the Concrete Podcast. In this conversation, we talk about a number of his wild, crazy guests, what he thinks about the current state of media, and how exactly he's been building an independent media company. I really enjoyed this conversation with Danny, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Let me know at the end of the conversation on Twitter what you thought, what we could improve, and what your next guest that you'd like to see would be. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Danny here with me. Uh, you have one of the wildest podcasts, I think, that I've seen <laughs> in a long time. You go and you find people who no one knows, uh, who are kind of on the fringes of society, uh, and you try to bring them to the mainstream. I think it's one of your main focuses uh, with your podcast. Talk a little bit about uh, where do you find these just crazy characters that you end up bringing on the show? <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, um, Usually I find some of the, the whole thing started with like doing documentaries and kind of doing like run and gun style shoots um, and mini docs. One of my most popular uh, little mini documentaries is called Deckhands. And basically we found a couple guys that were um, drinking natty lights behind a 7-Eleven in a local town near me called Madeira Beach. And uh, the guy ended up like taking us to his boat and showing us his porn collection and like blasting Marilyn Manson at obscene volumes like so the whole neighborhood could hear and uh normal we, yeah we just filmed like these crazy people that we didn't we couldn't even imagine existed and mm-hmm. putting it on youtube and now i'm trying to like i would i've tried to take that same concept and t- into a podcast format where i just find random crazy people or now i hear about them or they email me and i just bring them on and yeah and talk so- to them like what is the bar for like crazy enough or, or interesting enough? Is there some way or is it just like whatever you're personally interested just in? Just whatever I'm personally interested in, yeah. Yeah. And as you have found these individuals, are there common themes? Like you've literally had everyone from a CIA whistleblower to the Sanoa cartel like mm-hmm. analysis. Um, it, it just seems like they're all fringe. They're all weird. But w- what's the common uh, kind of thread through all of this? There really is no common thread through all of it, honestly. I just kind of like lately it's just been getting introduced to people or learning about people through like my audience now mm-hmm. because I can only do so much myself. I can I can only go out and and seek out as many people so many people. Mm-hmm. Now I rely a lot on people in my audience, people emailing me, you know, calling me and saying, "Hey, look into this guy. This guy might be cool." And then taking a chance and learning shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having people that I would never be interested in otherwise. Is there anybody the who has either reached out or somebody's told you like, hey, go check this person out. And they're just too crazy. You're just like, I, I just can't do no, that. No, no. Um, recently, actually, I have a guy coming on who's who's going to be, is the first guest that I'm going to have that I won't be able to publish it on YouTube because I'll definitely get my channel deleted. What? what who's the person? So um, he is, there's a documentary made about him called Mr. Death. Okay. He was raised in a town in like the Midwest and his, basically what happened to him is he got contracted by all the prisons to develop the execution tactic. So like he developed the electric chair. He 
reinvented the electric chair to make it so it actually worked and they didn't have to like electrocute people 10 times before mm-hmm. they actually died. Um, he actually redeveloped the gallows, um, the gas chambers, all, all the means of execution in prisons in the U.S. like since the 60s. And um, really weird, interesting guy. But the part the part about him that sucks is that why well, I can't talk put him on YouTube or anything because he doesn't believe the Holocaust is real. Like he's like, he will die on that thing. He's like, I don't think it was real. He literally went to like, uh, he went to, Germany and visited all these places and did studies on it. And he, he's very convinced, very controversial and convinced and set in his ways. And that's just a conversation that you got to keep off of. Yeah. Social media. Do you think about, uh, Susan and the YouTube team and like what, uh, uh, what they allow on the platform, what they don't, or do you just, yeah, because I know shit's going to be good. I know the best, like (laughs) with some of the best content, the best documentaries and best projects I've ever worked on, it's all stuff that gives me just like this burning feeling in my stomach that I know like people are going to be mad. People are going to be pissed off. Same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You, you You, know, but it's also a part of it feels like, uh, I have to learn. I, 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 I want to talk to that person. mm -hmm. Like, uh, um, we had Andrew Tate on and, uh, the video is up for a month. Mm Mm-hmm million plus views, uh, and randomly just gets taken down one day. Oh, it got taken down. So I reach out to YouTube, right? And, and, uh, of course they give you no real answers, whatever. And then eventually the person we work with at YouTube, they start telling us, Hey, there's more whatever, all the way to come back and they're like the timestamps on the video. And they're like, Hey, this is why it gets taken down. Mm-hmm. And obviously we disagree. They don't, whatever. And so you can choose to like fight it or just say, Hey, whatever, we're going to move on. Um, and what you find through all of that process is like, you know the number one question I got from people after we released the episode? Hmm. What was he like in person? Really? All these people had opinions about a guy, but no one had ever met him. No one had ever talked to him. So all the people on the internet who were saying, like, I like him, I don't like him, this, that, whatever, they never talked to him. Yeah. And so it was fascinating to me because people who, and like folks that uh, you wouldn't think cared about that stuff, whether they were really successful investors, entrepreneurs, you know, people in the, in the business world, whatever, mm-hmm. they wanted to know. I see him in the headlines. I see this, whatever. Like, what was he like in person? And I think that goes back to this whole idea of like, you know that it's, some people are going to be mad, but like to some degree, you you have to talk to them. Like, how are you going to learn without talking to them, right? Right, right. Yeah, and see like how their mind works and actually sit, like sitting down with somebody in person is so much different than like getting a perspective through the internet, through like the lens of the internet or all the clips that are on social media. I feel yeah. like I, I didn't know. I didn't know the first thing about Andrew Tate before the, this whole thing went crazy. Like I didn't know. I had to go watch a couple of videos to figure out what he was all about. Um, and it seems like he has a legit, like a cult following. Yeah, it, and there's a lot of people I think on the internet that are like this, um, where uh, you can judge them in long form. You can judge them by you know 20 second clips or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can take the same person, and depending on how it's packaged and and presented you get completely different views of people. Have you ever seen the, uh, I think it's, um, I'm going to mess it up because I know nothing about the royal family, but uh, is it Prince Harry or Prince William or whatever the guys? And there's this thing on uh, uh, a photo that always goes viral on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And he is basically, looks like he's flicking off like a crowd, but Mm. then they have a second photo. And what he's really doing is he has like three fingers up, but from the side view, it looks like he's flicking them off. Interesting. And so they're always like, hey, be careful what you see on the internet. You know, like the photos could be misleading, all this stuff. Yeah. And I always think of that specific image as like, from the side, it looks like he's pissed. He's flicking off the cam- uh, flicking off the crowd, all this stuff. And then you turn around and look at him straight on. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 
Yeah, that's a weird thing, right? That's a weird thing, especially with not even the internet, just celebrities too. Like people will be so infatuated with certain people or certain celebrities online. And when they meet them in real life, it's kind of like a letdown. Yeah. Like these people are false prophets. They're really just really good at one thing. Yeah. They're really (laughs) just humans that are really good at one thing or really good at like being loud about certain things. And yeah, that's weird. When you talk to somebody like, uh, you you talk to somebody about the uh, Sinanola uh, cartel. Yeah. And uh, that's a topic that most people in America have no clue about. They don't think about whatever, like, Walk me through how you think about learning about a topic like that before the interview. I, to be honest, I, I just watch a couple documentaries about something mm-hmm. before, like for the, the guy who came in for the Sinaloa cartel, I've always been super interested in, in that subject. Like reading, I, I, you know, I don't really read books, but I actually have read a book by, I read a book that was written by Pablo Escobar's brother. He was like the accountant for um, the Medellin cartel. Mm-hmm. And that kind of got me interested in a long time ago. Never said, I mean, everybody watches drug cartel documentaries for the most part, right? So you've seen stuff like that. Netflix keeps producing them, yeah. so somebody's watching. Yeah, <laughs> for real. And um, there's always stuff stuff in the headlines regarding that. And, and I didn't realize, like, the way it were like, so when I did that recent documentary with Luis Chaparro, um, he lives in Mexico and he reports on the Sinaloa cartel and all the things that go on in the Sinaloa cartel. I had, like, a broad understanding of what it was. A friend of mine just recommended him to me. And... When the guy came in, I learned so much about it. Like, it, this is how it usually works. Like, when these people come in and I talk to them, like, I learned so much about that topic. I want to, like, immediately bring them back and talk to them again because mm-hmm. I've learned so much from that first interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think of it as an interview or as a documentary? I think of them as documentaries for sure. Like, I think of each, like, I talked to you before we started. I used to only do documentaries and, like, t- television content. And, um, when I started doing the podcast, I kind of thought, I think of it as a documentary without mm-hmm. the editing and mm-hmm. without the music and without the B-roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is easier and harder about the interview versus just a traditional documentary? The interview is way harder because you have to be good at talking. You have to be intelligent. You have to be knowledgeable. When you're doing a documentary, you're just, you're out, you're off camera. You can go back and meet up with this person as many times. Like I can go meet up with somebody, talk to them for an hour on camera, come back, edit it, figure out what's good and where I want to go from there. Meet up with them again, shoot again, go interview other people, give it context. With this, it's kind of like one shot, you know, like, you know, but you have a successful podcast, you have a two, three hour shot to basically get as much out of somebody as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then you have to actually at the same time, you have to be able to communicate well. Like that's mm-hmm. something I suck. I still suck at is communication, communication. Mm-hmm. So like being able to play this ping pong match of a podcast and actually draw the right stuff out of somebody is a, such a unique talent that, uh, I'm trying to get better at, but a lot of people are naturally good at it. Like you're naturally good at it. Like Julian I'm trying to fire. He's amazing at it. Um, but I think like this, this talent that you develop by doing this art form translates to so many different aspects of life. Like what? Like just anything like, like building relationships. Like if you're in, if you're in business and you want to get new clients, if you want to make people like you, if you want to, everything, just communication, communicating with humans is I think one of the most important aspects of of life. Right? Yeah. That, that's, that's what makes life better and more enriching. Yeah. It's also uh, interesting that you said uh, you don't read books, but you do quite a bit watching documentaries. Mm-hmm. And then you obviously talk to people as well. What mm-hmm. is the books are just boring or. 
I listen to audiobooks. I'm just a slow reader. I'm not very smart. Uh, I dropped out of college like first year. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like sitting down and read, turning pages to me is not something I don't, I have two kids. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of like gets in the way, but like traveling here, I can listen to an audiobook or, mm-hmm. you know, driving anywhere or at the gym or something like that. It's easier to listen to podcasts and audiobooks for me. Yeah. I, um, so that's what I did for the last four or five years mm-hmm. was I don't think I read a book. I think I listened to them all on audiobook and then obviously mm-hmm. a lot of podcasts. And about four months ago, I sat down, uh, somebody gave me a physical book and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I sat down to read it and my head hurt. I couldn't read it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> and like, I, I was like scared to tell anyone because I was like, oh my God, like my brain doesn't work. I'm literally a moron. I can't read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I realized was it, it wasn't reading. I, you know, hopefully I know how to read. It was more so the concentration. Yeah. And so I started look, uh, looking online. I'm like, why is this happening? And one of the things that I realized is like when you read a book, uh, it is something that doesn't have the LED screen behind it. And what has happened to many of our minds and eyes and things like that is we never look at distance. If you're inside all day long and you just have a screen and it's, you know, two feet, three feet away from your face, how far do you look? Maybe you turn to like your colleague and you look 10 feet away, Mm -hmm. but you never have to look 50 feet out in front of you for the most part. And so your eyes aren't used to depth kind of going back and forth and it's not used to looking at things other than an LED screen for long periods of time. Mm. And so it tricks your brain into like not being able to do it. And so then I just ordered a bunch of physical books and was like, I'm not going to fucking lose the ability to like look at really? a physical book. So for four months, that's pretty much all I've done. done no audio, or actually not sure. I listened to one book on audio because uh, when I was running and things like that. Um, but yeah, I've just been reading physical books and like now I feel like a machine, but I'm not nearly as fast as listening on, you know, one and a half speed on audio. And so I'm scared to go back because I'm like, oh, I built up this muscle memory. But I, if I go back to audiobooks, what happens? Do you think you retain information better when you read it with your eyes yeah. versus listening to it? hundred times better. Really? Uh, yeah. I heard it, I've heard it makes you, you speak and articulate better too. That wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't know for sure, but like, uh, uh, I definitely retain the information better um, because like, you know, you listen to an audiobook and like maybe your mind wanders a little bit and you're like, oh, I'm listening to the book. Um, but maybe it's like 80% retention reading and it's like 65% with audiobook or 70%. It's not that big of a difference, mm. but it's definitely, especially around like uh, specific data points or, or numbers, something like that. Um, but the other thing is that uh, you can't be doing anything else. Right. So like with an audiobook, you can drive, you can uh, be at the gym, whatever. Like you have so much more opportunity to consume audio in, in your day than sit down with a book and like, this is all I'm going to do. Right. And so like I, People who just sit and read all day, like I'm, I'm jealous of them because like that sounds like a pretty cool life. Uh, but at the same time, like you can't do anything else. I don't know how they're productive. Right. What? When do you find time to do it? I schedule it. You do. You have to have. You have to be pretty disciplined to do that, right? Yeah. Like now, especially at night. Like I'm like, all right. At this point, I'm going to sit down with this book and I'm not getting up for an hour and a half. Mm. And then you know, I get mad at myself. I like start playing on my phone or whatever. Like you just realize, like yeah, we're addicted. Yeah. <laughs> like we are a hundred percent addicted. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, man. I mean, I only have, I have a Kindle. I read a book on a Kindle like earlier this year, but I mean, as far as like a page turning book, like a physical <laughs> one, I that's I'm telling my you, realm. if you try to do it and you can't do it, you'll it'll, it's like a mind fuck. You're like, oh my god, mm. I my, I have like tricked my brain into this dopamine uh, like machine yeah. where I cannot stare at just a piece of paper. Yeah, uh, that's got to be super good for you to sit down and actually read a book and find that. It's got to be such so good for just like discipline too, to be able to carve out an hour of your day and just sit there in the quiet. 
Do you have kids? Yeah, I have a ten uh, month old daughter. Okay, but so yes, she she sleeps so hot. And <laughs> does she? Okay, you're lucky. Yeah. My kids don't sleep. How, how old are they? I have a three year old and a two week old. <laughs> oh, a two week old. Yeah, oh, there's no sleeping going on there. No, none. <laughs> the when, when you think of uh, a lot of the guests that you've brought in, so if you look at like somebody like the CIA whistleblower, right? Mm. Um, how do you structure what to learn from them? Like, there's so many different things that somebody like the CIA whistleblower <laughs> that. Is it just whatever you're interested in, you start asking questions and three hours later you stop? Or do you go into it with a plan as to what you're going to talk about? No, I like, are you talking about John Kariaku? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with him, I had sort of a rough idea of what I wanted to talk to him about. Like I had a couple t- rough topics built out in my mind from the t- couple documentaries or videos that I had watched beforehand. Um, so I had an idea of who he was, what he had done, and what I was interested in before. Like I did a little bit of research on them, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, as far as like a, a structured framework details of every single talking point I wanted to hit, no, not at all. Just kind of like let it flow. Um, Do you let them edit afterwards? Like it's yeah. pre-recorded if they say to you like, hey, can we take this out? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. if anyone ever, if they ever say like, I want to cut that out or sometimes yeah. they'd have like bathroom breaks in the middle. We'll, we'll cut it out. It's not yeah. a big deal, but typically like 99% of them, we don't edit at all. Yeah. That's how we are as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we joke that the people who always ask for something edited are the ones who like, dude, nobody cares. Like, it rarely <laughs> happens. It rarely <laughs> happens. Right. Like nobody cares about that one offhand comment, but like to them, it really matters. Like sure. dude. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Okay. I want to kind of get away from, I don't know how I got pigeonholed into like doing the, like, I've had a few CIA people on the show and I just recently had an FBI person on the show. I don't know how I spiral down went down that branch but do they recommend each other i want to get away from it yeah uh no some of them do but usually it's like the audience will be like yo get this guy on he'll be really good and it usually does really good like like if you look at the metrics and views and everything like yeah it works good but i'm not super like into that that's not like what i wanted to do when i started the the podcast what did you want to do i just wanted to make it like freakazoids you know like weird people like find i'd find under rocks like like crazy wacky people not like he's at the pitch not it's like government. yo you're a freakazoid come on <laughs> yeah, <podcast."> for real. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean yeah no i never imagined it would go when in you that think of all of the people that you've been how many episodes have you done now a hundred and i've done like i'm on like 155 i think okay who is the one that stands out in your mind is like the absolute craziest person you've talked to is it the deckhands yeah, they weren't podcasts, so they were yeah, they were they, documentary. They, those were apps, one hundred percent the craziest people I ever talked to. Yeah. All they, right. What about on the podcast form? I don't know. I don't know. I've been asked this question. I feel like so many times. I really don't know. Um, you don't have one that stands out. No, I mean one of my favorite episodes was with he wasn't. I mean he wasn't. He was just an author. He was Tom O'Neill, the guy who wrote the mm-hmm. Charles Manson book. Mm-hmm. He had some crazy stories. His story yeah. was fascinating. Charles Manson is one of those people that I think uh, a lot of folks around our age have heard of, but they actually don't know the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book um, called Cults, like C-U-L-T-S. Long story as to how this ended up in my possession, uh, but I was reading it, and uh, the first 50 pages is the Charles Manson story. Oh, really? Fucking wacky, <laughs> man. <laughs> wacky shit. Like, yeah. Not, I'm not going to go kill people, but like, I'm going to order people to go kill people and they're in my cult. And so they listen and like, it's just fucking crazy. And I think there's a whole generation of people who were like right after the generation that would, that was like their thing that uh, they lived through that we don't, could you imagine like, 
if we were, I don't know, in our early 20s and there was like a serial killer doing stuff like that? No, it's weird too. Like his story, I don't know if you're familiar with Tom's book, Chaos, but basically he ended up doing like a 20, 20 year study, deep dive on Charles Manson. He wasn't even interested in it, but he was working for like a, he was a reporter for a magazine and his, he got the assignment to basically just write an article about like the 10 year anniversary of the uh, Tate LaBianca murders. And um, he eventually got, he got a little bit, you know, entrenched in the story and he kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And um, basically Charles Manson was like a two bit criminal stealing cars and robbing grocery stores and stuff like that. Dude, at like a young age. Yeah, very Like at 12 age. was stealing cars and driving like across right, the country. Right, right. <laughs> driving across state lines which made it a federal crime. But he had a really fucked up childhood too. Yeah. Like a really fucked up childhood. Kept and getting moved between like orphanages mm-hmm. and uh, foster care. Yeah. And then he was like basically a professional criminal because mm-hmm. he just kept learning from other people. Right. Like all the different crimes to commit. And then like Tom eventually talked to a bunch of his probation officers and he found out that he kept getting let out of prison. He kept getting let out and let out and let out and he kept talking to these people and there's like, there it makes no sense how he kept getting out of jail for after he had been in so many times for so many different crimes. And then- um, But like at some point, society has to say like, can we really keep the 15 year old, right? Yeah. Like maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should. I, I don't know mm-hmm. what the answer is, but like I got to imagine that the age, if you're like a a young teenager, mm-hmm. someone somewhere is like, ah, oh, I feel bad for the 14-year-old who got arrested and, you know, we got to let him out. You think maybe they just thought he was unmanageable, so they let him out? No, it's like, uh, imagine today, it, it, like you can just, um, Twitter, something goes viral and it's like 12-year-old locked up for stealing a car. Yeah. And the mob would show up and be like, let him out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. And, and they'd be like, you know, you can't treat 12-year-olds like this. That's mm. inhumane, like all the right. stuff. Now, they didn't have social media and stuff back then, but like it's the same sentiment of if you just look at the one event, then like, uh, like ah, it's 12-year-old. Everyone does dumb stuff as 12 years old. Like, yeah, sure, I didn't steal cars and like drive across state lines and stuff, but like every 12-year-old did something dumb. Mm-hmm. But then when you look at the totality of it, right? right? And you're like, hey, by the way, he was doing this since like six right. and had done it like 20 times by the time he was 15. That's obviously a different story. But like, yeah. do judges and stuff like that really back then have all that information? I don't know. Yeah, it's weird too. But he was a lot older. Like he was doing it from a super young age, like into his mid 20s, oh, into, yeah, for sure. 30s, right? Yes. And then like the connection with- But he kept getting let out in his teens, which right. almost like- reinforced, oh, you just do it, you go to jail, and then come back out. Right, right, right. And then the connection with between that and the um, the clinic in San Francisco, mm-hmm. that free clinic that he that he was basically bringing everybody to and they were giving them LSD, like that gets crazy with MKUltra being connected to it and mind control and the whole thing with the 60s, the, rev, you know, the hippies protesting against the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Fascinating book, man. Well, the part to me uh, that also becomes like kind of wild is um, I guess at one point there was some murders that people in the cult carried out. uh, And then there was another one, but they wrote, if I understand correctly, uh, the same thing on the wall Mm -hmm, in like blood. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to write something that would like make it look like it was another group committing the murders. (laughs) But... Mm. They wrote the same thing on the wall and and the cops like didn't put two and two together at yeah, first. Yeah. And so like I always just go back to like 
how advanced so many aspects of society are now that we have the internet, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're a cop and there's somewhere buried in like a paper police report, some detail, like something was written on the wall. How do you know if you sh- a different cop that shows up to a different crime scene? Right. In the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, wh- yeah. whatever. Like now we're like, oh, you idiots. Like how yeah. did you not know that? Right. But you're like, yeah, dude, like it was on paper. We just mm-hmm. talked about like, read a book. <laughs> right like what cop was sitting there gonna go through the police reports yeah man the incompetence is crazy right like now you would now if that was if a story was like like that was published online there would be somebody in twitter just like noticing it and posting it and it would get retweets and people would see it but back then before the internet before the days of the internet it had to be so so much more difficult to kind of link shit like that i bet so much so many things like that slipped through the cracks yeah. And, and the reverse happens, right? Like how many times do we hear stories now? Some, you know, uh, person was locked up for 20 years and then it's like, oh, oh yeah. now we have DNA testing, mm-hmm. like innocent. Yeah. How and crazy is that? It's like, uh, hey yeah. guys, uh, DNA testing has been around for a while. Like how did we not figure that out, you know, five, 10 years ago? Yeah, dude, that's insane. I just had a, re- a guy on my show recently too, who did like 16 years in prison and they found him, he was exonerated because of DNA. They actually really? found the guy who committed the rape and murder, um, 16 years later and they brought that guy to jail and then found out that his DNA was the correct DNA. Oh, so they arrested somebody for something else, Mm -hmm. had the DNA taken and then cross-referenced it and realized, wait a minute, this guy actually committed this crime, not the person who's sitting in jail for it. Exactly. Jesus Christ. And I think the guy only got like, I can't remember exactly. I want to say it was like 4 million bucks. He did 16 years in prison and got like four or 5 million bucks most of it, which had to go to his attorneys. But could you imagine 16 years in prison for something you didn't do? And I think like even they even found a ton of evidence at the site of the murder that didn't even come close to matching this guy. Like it Mm -hmm. clearly depicted somebody of a different ethnicity than him. Oh, wow. And uh, they still just wanted to get there, get it, wash their hands of it and get their prosecution. The two things it makes me think of um, is uh, was making a murder, mm. uh, the the Netflix uh, oh yeah like, I forgot about episodic that series. Mm-hmm. I always just think when they have like the know, 16, 17 year old boy uh, in the uh, room with the cops, and the cops are like basically saying yeah. all this stuff, and they're getting him to confess. And then once he gets done, he's like, uh, um, "Am I going to go back to school now?" <laughs> and they're like, "Nah, dude, <laughs> like no." <laughs> and then he's like on the phone or something with I think his mom. Uh, or a relative, and he's like asking, "Is he going to get let out for WrestleMania?" So he can like watch it on TV, and like he, he like he has no like. You're just like listening to him talk, and you're like, "This kid does not understand that he just admitted to a murder, which maybe he did or did not commit." Watch yeah, he has no like, clue, none. right? None. What do you think about like the rise of this? Was making a murder? We talked about like the drug cartel documentaries and, and that type of stuff, but also uh, Serial, the podcast. Um, that it, uh, I forget the guy's name, um, who was the supposed uh, suspect who I think had been arrested during all of that. I just saw now even the prosecutors are saying, hey, we got some more information. Uh, we should uh, let this guy out uh, because there was like a. Um, maybe we don't have as much confidence mm. in him being the person as we once did. It's like, how do you think about the rise of all this like crime content? Dude, the crime content's crazy. Some of the most popular content in the world. I, ha- I, t- I tell uh, my buddy, one of my buddies who comes on the show every once in a while who has a lot of friends in prison. 
I told them that they need to get some microphones in there and start their own like in prison podcast because they would make would so much fucking money. <laughs> it would explode. Can you imagine? Like it, they're in like uh, uh, it can't be maximum security prison, right? You couldn't get microphones in, but like maybe I don't know anything about being in prison, but yeah. I mean, if you're in one of those camps, they have cell phones. Why wouldn't they be able to get mics? You know, at least some like yeah, that, small that, mics. That's, that's what I'm saying. So like they have to be somewhere where they have some sort of communication. Yeah. Like even, I mean, I think of how much money that the, the prison owners would make. Like if you, if you owned a prison, if like I owned a prison, a I would studio? set up my own podcast studio. I'd have multiple. I'd get them in there just churning out podcasts every day, bro. Are you kidding me? They, they <laughs> there is other work that is done, right? But like in, in some way also, um, did you see, uh, uh, who was it? Um, I think actually two guys uh, did it. I don't think Shrek Rally, Martin Shrek Rally, uh, the pharma bro. Uh, I don't think he did a podcast, okay. but, um, uh, the guy from Fire Festival, Billy McFarlane. Oh yeah. I think at some point they like snuck a microphone in or maybe he was on the phone, like he was doing like mm. the click call and they were recording it and he was, um, oh actually, yeah, I actually know the guy who did it now that I think about it. Um, they called it Dumpster Fire and he was calling and they were recording it and they were turning it into a podcast and then he got put in, um, uh, he got put in the hole. Oh no! Uh, for like participating in a podcast no without permission. No way. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, right? Like, I guess that's kind of the whole thing. Is like it's all about control. And if you're like going to the phones <laughs> mm-hmm. and participating in uh, in podcasts. Yeah, everybody's fascinated with people in prison. Like, people are just always there's like always reporters in there trying to get calls or trying to get one on one interviews with prisoners and learn their stories because like those are some of the. I mean, honestly, those people are probably some of the most interesting people in the world. This episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all your devices, making it easy to send, receive, and exchange over 150 crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, that's exodus.com slash pomp. Go check them out for your free download today. This episode is brought to you by Compass Mining, the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. You can do it at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. All you need to do to start mining your own Bitcoin is go to compassmining.io today. Again, if you want to get into Bitcoin mining, go check out compassmining.io today. You know what a show I feel like uh, we probably had, which was much, it seems like much more popular when we were younger, is cops. Mm. Remember, remember the, like, yeah. the cops would, ha- like, they would have somebody with, like, a full video camera uh, and, like, a whole video crew, like, following them around. Yeah. And sometimes, like, they pulled somebody over. Other times it was, like, bam, foot chase, like, whatever. Yeah. They do that live now. Do you know that? No. They have live cops where, like, there's... I don't know how live it is, but I'm sure there's some sort of time delay so they don't just like cut to a cop. They probably just like put a live logo shooting on Shooting someone or something, right? Mm-hmm. But they the way they present it is like there's a command center and there's like two guys or whatever and they're like, oh, let's go out to uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, <laughs> officer, whoever. <laughs> like, it's like, like it's like a red zone, right? But like rather than drop into like the Dolphins game, like let's drop oh into Tulsa, God. Oklahoma. We're uh, riding shotgun with officer whatever, <laughs> which is fucking crazy. Um, and they like record these interactions. Is there any proof that it's actually live? I, 
Or are they allowed it's to on, just say it's live? It's on TV. So right. like, I can't imagine it's 100% real time live. Like maybe there's a time delay. They're getting desperate. Something's going on. TV executives are getting desperate. They're saying, let's call it cops live. I'll put a <laughs> fucking flashing red light under it and call it live. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah. And like, is there, uh, could you get in trouble if you're the executive for saying it's live? Probably not. No, hell no. Right? Like people are just like, whatever, does the content good? Yeah, they could sell it. As long as they can sell it and make more money, they, they'll they get away with it. So uh, you like watch it and like, it's just a whole different view of the world because you see, you know, they go into people's houses and you're just like, oh my God, this house is just full of trash or mm. like these people are hoarders or uh, uh, these people, there's a domestic dispute and you're just like, dude, that is a chaotic life that like is unfortunate that anyone has to live through. Yeah. And it's just this lens and you forget like that's on like, you know, uh, uh, cable networks. Like that's not on, you know, uh, uh, HBO or anything like that. Like if you just have cable, watch it's on Fox mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Dude, on the way here on 95, right before I turned uh, to go to downtown, there was literally a car. I think it was like a a Honda Civic pulled on the side of the interstate, side of the highway. Dude was like aggressively beating the shit out of somebody in the backseat of his car, like full on haymakers. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> what? The car's pulled over. Welcome to Miami. All right, the car's pulled over on the side of the road? Pulled off on the side of the road, literally right, like right bef before, or I think right after an exit. Okay. On 95, 95 South. And this dude was fucking had both doors open and he was aggressively fucking wailing on he somebody was in the front seat. He, he was, was back out, or he, he was, was out. He of was the car. standing on the ground outside on the road and he was punching into the car, beating the shit out of somebody. And no one was stopping. Nobody was stopping. I mean, eh, are you surprised Miami. no one was stopping? No, I'm not no, surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Right. That's not, that's not something you typically see in Tampa. When you see that, you know, you're in Miami. <laughs> Is that how people who live in the Tampa area think of Miami is like Miami's where the crazy shit happens? Maybe I live, I don't really live in Tampa. I live on the beach. I live mm -hmm. on Indian rocks beach. So yeah, when you think of Miami, you think of like another country really. I mean, it's not really the United States. The rest of the country now also thinks of Miami as another country. Like Probably right. People who still live in California or New York. Uh, the traffic here is way worse than California. You think? Yes. I don't know if I'd agree with that. Like LA, Probably not. LA is the only place in the world where there's like eight lanes and it's mm -hmm. still bumper to bumper traffic. Right. Right. <laughs> so like maybe outside of LA and other parts of California, yeah, Miami traffic could be bad, but also like rush hour in New York is pretty bad as well. Maybe not New York. Yeah, you're Gridlock. right. I'm not, I'm not, you're right. So like in the downtown areas, right? Or like uh, uh, on the LA highway, maybe those areas are worse, but yes, traffic, especially on like the lower end of 95 mm -hmm. can get pretty bad. Yeah. When I got off of 95, it said I was literally going to be here in like 10 minutes and I was not here for like another 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> 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 this place is fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Well, and also, I love Miami, by the way. Also, uh, when it rains here, it just floods. Oh yeah. Like, yes. uh, uh, recently there was a rain, um, and I was at a restaurant, uh, on South beach. Um, with three other guys and we were sitting there's like a window uh, to the right in the sidewalks on the other side of the window. And, and I'm sitting with my back to the window and uh, all of a sudden one of the guys like, dude, it's really pouring outside. So I turn and I look and like, definitely raining a lot, but nothing out of the ordinary yet. And 20 minutes later, he's like, dude, now look. <laughs> and I turned and I look and the water was starting to like rise on the road. And I was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. But like, 
whatever. We still got like another hour at dinner. Like maybe it'll get better. Dumb idea. Uh, so then like half an hour later, he's like, dude, it's over the curb. <laughs> and I look and I swear the water was literally over the curb, uh, like kind of like peeking over. And so uh, this specific restaurant, there's nowhere to park. So it's all valet uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. And when people were leaving the restaurant, they were pulling the cars up onto the sidewalk. So people would get in the car without having to go in their ankle deep water. You know, they get their Gucci shoes wet. And, and I was just like, dude, these guys are pros. Like, like there was no, uh, what do we do? It was just like, oh, we probably deal with this like once a week. So I like, just drive the cars up on the sidewalk. Well, what happens to the parking garages that are underground that go down? Like, the, do they get completely flooded? Like, are those underwater? Or what happens to those parking garages? No, I'm sure that they've got some sort of drainage and, and okay. uh, you would hope. Now, again, I'm sure there's somewhere where that's not mm. true. Uh, over a couple blocks over in Brickle, um, there's one area, there's a, a Publix, and it's like notorious when it rains really bad, it, it floods. So mm. if you remember a couple of months ago, there was uh, all these videos of people like leaving the club at like two o'clock in the morning and they were like falling in the water. There was cars that were like hitting uh, 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 huge holes because at the time they're doing construction right there. <laughs> and so there was like a hole in the ground, but it was like, uh, uh, they had the cones and everything. So during the day, no one, I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to somehow end up in the construction hole. Mm -hmm. But when the water had risen up, no one knew it was there. So there was a car with like its front left tire had like gone in. And so it was that like a vertical thing. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, I'm so glad that I'm not going to like clubs and walking out and knee high water. What brought you to Miami? Like, how did you end up here? I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) Uh, No, I was in New York. Uh, I think we just wanted to leave New York. Like you're, so you're born and raised in New York. Uh, I was actually born in Hollywood, Florida. Oh, okay. And then uh, grew up in North Carolina. Uh, went lived in California for a little bit, and then uh, was in New York. And I mean, New York, I love, will always love. Uh, but like, it just started to decline to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. It's very similar to California, right? Um, and I think that's where you saw like the net move out of those two states, right, into places like Texas or Florida. Is um, that when you moved here? I moved, uh, we decided in November of 2020, we moved the first week of January of 2021. And so uh, there were people here from like the business tech kind of investing world, but there wasn't a lot yet. And then like March, April, May of 2021, it was like every single person I knew was like, I'm thinking about moving to Miami. And I was like, oh shit, like this was a great decision. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think the biggest difference, frankly, like in hindsight is people are just happier in Florida. Like, I don't know if it's the sun. I don't know if it's like you go outside more. Yeah. If it's not like you feel cramped because mm-hmm. of the building. What, for whatever reason. Just well, like people seem much happier. It's similar to New York right here though. Like this downtown Miami, yeah. this Brickle area is, is not really Florida. Yeah. That's why uh, I think a lot of folks from New York, when they come, uh, they basically moved to like two areas, kind of a midtown-ish area. Um, and then uh, Brickle at first, because it's the most like Manhattan or, or New York. And then from there, they kind of spread out to wherever they're going to go after a little while. But it's like, you don't want to like rip the Band-Aid off. Imagine going from like, I don't know, uh, you know, Lower East Side to like Montana. Right, that's <laughs> right? brutal. You'd be like, all right, this is a little weird. <clears throat> mm. So I don't know. Yeah, man. I feel like Why, wh- Tampa and and where I'm from, like the beaches are 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 so much more rural and open. And even though they're not, they're still kind of like little cities. But there's nothing like Miami. Like like where I live, you can just 
you can drive down the beach mm-hmm. there. It's wide open. There's not really many high rises except for like on the edge of the beach. like all the yeah. big condos and stuff. In Tampa, uh, there's a um, uh, Netflix show now on uh, like Selling Sunset, but it's uh, Selling Tampa. Have you seen oh, this? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. And it's all about like some brokerage that's like blowing up or whatever. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, they're positioning it as like Tampa's, you know, on the come up. Is that true? I think so. Tom Brady's there. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Lightning are apparently, I don't know anything about hockey, but I know yeah. like the Lightning are all the rage right now. Uh-huh. Um, do people yeah. in Tampa We got the best this? strip clubs. According to who? According to the world. Tampa is the strip club capital of the world. That's not true. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, they're way better than the ones in Miami. No, but like, is there like a strip club ranking? Yeah, there is. If you even Google, Google it, like if you just search for like, I'm sure he can do it, but if you search for like America's top strip clubs, the top like two or three are in Tampa. <laughs> I've had the guy who owns the most famous uh, strip club in the world on my show too. Really? Yeah. What did he say? Uh, he was just, basically, like what makes he, it so famous? He, so he, it's the, he was a, the first strip club in, I believe the, maybe in the U S I could be wrong. Might be just in okay. Florida, but he was the first full nude strip club, uh, legally full nude. And he had to fight the city and the government forever. Yeah. And now he's doing this whole new thing where he can, he's like, now he's fighting, he's suing the government to like grow his own marijuana. Cause he has cancer mm-hmm. and he's using it for medicinal purposes, but he's a fucking, he's a badass. Like he would be out in the street, like fighting with cops and like protesting with the protesters. Cause I guess it was, um, I think it, it was like a free speech t- debate, right? For mm. to be able to have the strippers there. And then Tampa tried to create the, the mayor of Tampa tried to institute a law where if you got a lap dance, the stripper had to be like five feet away from you. Like it had to be a five foot distance to get a lap dance. Two weeks to and, flatten the curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he fought it to the death. And uh, and yeah, so what, now- What's fascinating to me is like a lot of these uh, folks are real estate investors. That's how they actually get started. Uh, there's mm. some guys here in Miami who uh, they own uh, like 11, which is like a club, mm. but you know, got some other things going on. Um, and, uh, they back into it cause they're like buying properties. And then like some of them are zoned for strip clubs or clubs or, you know, liquor licenses, whatever. Um, but I never realized how much they fight with, uh, the city council and the local government and like all that stuff is like a whole new world. You mean once you own like commercial real estate? Well, just like think of these real estate developers. So like Tampa obviously has mm-hmm. uh, strip clubs now that I know that, uh, but also bars or whatever. Like a lot of that business is dealing with local regulations and yeah. understanding, okay, uh, they're going to put this through street and uh, they won't put a red light outside. And right. so like, does that increase, you know, think if you're a bar, like a, a super extreme example would be like, Hey, you're trying to petition to get a red light put outside. Uh, so people will stop because you're yeah. drunk patrons leaving at night and you want them to be able to cross the street safely. So you don't take on more legal liability, uh, for owning a place that's selling alcohol. And so he goes, this thing gets hit by a car, but like, you don't get to put the red light up. <laughs> right. Right. Like there's like, you got to go through a process. And then there's like the other side of it, which is like the city's telling you like you can't do something or in this mm-hmm. case, like, Hey, you can't have a strip club or whatever. Yeah. It's just like this battle. Yeah. It's crazy. Like if you want, it's interesting to think like once you, even just like, if you're thinking small, like people that don't want to be like big shots or be like dealing with government or whatever, mm-hmm. I have to say, I want to own some real estate. I want to make some money, but you un- unknowingly get into political shit once you own bigger, more and more real estate because now you have to deal with the government. Now you have to deal with these regulations and fight them and try to schmooze people and take people out to dinner. And of course. 
One of the things uh, a real estate, a very large real estate investor told me one time, he goes, uh, half the job is knowing who's responsible for what in the local government and being able to get them to do it. Yeah. And when he said that, I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I thought it was just, you know, you'd run some numbers and like buy a building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was like, no, he's like, that's actually the important stuff. Because yeah. then you get into like, uh, from an investment perspective, there's opportunity zones. So like, I don't know if you know about these, but you can basically invest in certain predetermined areas. And if you hold the real estate for 10 years, it's tax-free, all the gains. Oh, really? You know who uh, created this law? Who? Sean Parker. You know Sean Parker is the know. guy, uh, you ever seen um, The Social Network? The Facebook video yeah. Uh, movie, yeah. The guy who helps Zuckerberg, uh, who's played by Justin Timberlake, that's Sean Parker, who also started Napster. Oh no, shit! He like teamed up with this other guy, and I think it was during um, I can't remember if it was right at the end of Obama's term or right when Trump got office, but it was like right around that 2014 to like 2016 period. Um, and they basically convinced the federal government uh, to create the opportunity zones. And the whole idea is like, hey, there's parts of every city that uh, is underinvested. And like, if we incentivize investors through tax breaks to invest in those areas, we'll like improve them. It's like yeah. theoretically makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> but the incentive is like, if you buy property and hold it for 10 years, you don't pay any taxes on the gains. Oh, wow. Well, that's what every real estate investor does, right? They're, they're just trying to fight the loopholes. That's what keeps it going. Yeah. They're just trying to like the, the 1031 exchange, you know, buy yeah. and sell it and reinvest the profits <laughs> and move on to something bigger. I mean, that's what keeps the whole fucking gravy train moving, really. It's just people trying to find the holes and to beat the next guy. Yeah. I I, um, uh, I saw an investor on Twitter recently giving a uh, a crash course to somebody who's asking him questions. And this guy's very sophisticated. He was explaining a cash out refi. And how like the difference between what you bought the property for and what uh, you get the refi at, like that money is tax free. And like, you could just see this person was like, what do you mean you get hundreds of thousands of dollars and you don't pay taxes on it? He's like, no, it's like part of the loan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like watching this in real time. And then I went back and then like later he was like sharing threads to like a whole real estate account that was talking about, you mm-hmm. know, uh, segregation studies yeah. and all this. And I was like, it's a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. There's so many ways to make money. There's so many, so many different crazy, weird ways to, to make money, but like real estate is the one thing that's like, it doesn't take a lot to understand it. It's just like hard work. If you have, if you put in the hard work and you, and you meet the right people, you can make pretty much anything you want to happen in real estate. Yeah. You don't have to have like some sort of special knowledge. You could be nobody. You could have no nothing. And you could- I think it's more than 50% of millionaires in the United States made it through real estate. Really? Yeah. I mean- I'm assuming, and again, big assumption, I'm assuming a portion of that is literally just uh, including their primary residence. Mm-hmm. So if you bought a house 20 years ago for a hundred grand and now it's worth $300,000, like that's 30% of the way to being a millionaire, mm-hmm. right? So like there's some of that going on. Um, but yeah, it, real estate by far is an asset class that probably helps mint more uh, millionaires than anybody else. What do you think about people like that guy, Grant Cardone, who like yeah. try to sell all these real estate courses and they'd like project their wealth and stuff? Because that guy's always around my town. Like he's always in-, in He uh, bought a lot of stuff in Tampa, I think. Oh, did he right? really? I think he bought, uh, I might get this wrong. I, I'm pretty sure that he bought like a pretty big, uh, like um, 500 unit apartment complex or something. Like oh, really? That. But yeah. he does this weird thing where he like sells his YouTube subscribers. He gets his YouTube followers to- invest in his properties. Yeah. I, so I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, I think this is where the world is going, but I think it's also like very uncharted waters, right? So like, if you think about, uh, go to the other extreme, like if you're, uh, 
I don't know, BlackRock or Blackstone. Let's use Blackstone as an example. Uh, you're a huge, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars uh, of assets. When you want to raise a fund, what do you do? You like take the idea, you put in some documents, you put together a pitch deck, and then you go to all these institutions and you show up to hospitals, uh, university endowments, uh, foundations, pension funds, like all these huge pools of capital. So like when people think of like a pension fund, you think of like, oh, I work for like a city or something. I'm putting my money into the pension and then they're going to like invest it. And then when I retire, they're going to pay me out whatever the, the money is. Mm-hmm. Like, where do they invest it? Like, sure, some of it's in the stock market, but usually the pension fund is not the one like, hmm, should we buy Apple or Walmart today? Right. right? They're giving it to investors. or giving mm-hmm. it to managers. Right. And so they'll turn around and they'll say like, hey, we have $2 billion in our pension fund for name your city in America. And then they'll be like, hey, Blackstone, we'll give you $25 million for your real estate fund or for your hedge fund or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're like raising money through these institutions. But really in many of those cases, the institution is actually managing money for like the individual, right? The pension fund is actually, that's not the pension fund's money. It's the pensioner's money that they're supposed to be growing until people retire. Right. Just like in every other part of society where like middlemen are getting cut out. Mm-hmm. I think what you're starting to see is people realize, well, why don't we just cut out those middlemen, those institutions and go direct to people? Right. Now, the positives are there's a lot of folks who want access to institutional real estate or, you know, stocks or venture mm-hmm. capital or whatever. The downside is like, there's a hell of a lot of risk, mm-hmm. right? So you get kind of pros and cons with it. And um, it's less about like, what do I think is like, is it good or bad? It's just like, it's going to happen and it's going to accelerate. And so we have accreditation laws, right? Where you have to be an accredited investor. You have to have a certain net worth or make a certain amount of money mm-hmm. um, every year. The positive is like that's supposed to protect you. The downside is like I know a lot of dumb rich people, right? Mm-hmm. Who like, you know, uh, doctors. I've talked to a lot of doctors, and they're like, dude, my colleagues, they don't know anything about investing, but they make four or five hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. So a lot of cash. So like, you know, they all think that they're gonna find the next Facebook. So they like angel invest, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, they all think that. the eighteen year old kid that lives in their neighborhood, and you're like, dude, the odds that you happen to live next to the next Mark Zuckerberg is right. like <laughs> negative percent, right? Um, but like that's been celebratized. And so in some way, it's just like, that's what's going on. It's like, they're like, okay, let me pick the manager. Mm. I don't that's, know. That's interesting. Why? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I just know the guy is, is always flying in and out of Clearwater going to the uh, the Scientology Center and he's walking up and down like downtown Clearwater like talking to his phone. And I've seen him literally like talking to his phone walking like up and down right in front of the Scientology Center before. What, what is the Scientology Center? Do you know? Yeah, it's the it's like the like, hub, you, it's like the hub of Scientology. There? I've never been inside. Are, are I, you are non- I grew up like five minutes away from it. Are non-Scientologists, I think it's the right term, uh, allowed to go inside? No, I don't think no. so. So you got to be like- Not unless in. you like want to like actually sign up and learn about it. Like you could fake wanting to, you could like get in there if you faked not knowing anything about it and like, who I want to get into this. But normal people aren't allowed I'm shocked that you live five minutes and you haven't done that video yet. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Fuck. I'm too afraid of, I'm too I don't don't know anything about it, but it seems like, uh, uh, yeah. There's like, cause Tom Cruise, I think is one as well. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise. um, I think he has an apartment right across the street from there in Clearwater. Um, John Travolta, a bunch of people. Oh, John Travolta's in too? Yeah. He, he's, he's in the uh, in the crew, the club? Yeah, he's a Scientologist, man. The thing is they But get, it's a religion. It's not, it's technically a legal religion. Yeah. yeah. They, um, 
You, why, why technically? Well, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it's legitimately a religion. It's not just technically a religion, but they reason, the reason it became a religion was because they wanted it to be tax free. So they had, they, they did this crazy thing where they had like all of their members, like tens and tens of thousands of people file their own individual lawsuits against the IRS and basically <laughs> bullied the IRS into no giving way. them a, the, relig the religion exemption. That's real? Yeah, that's real. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a crazy documentary on HBO called um, Scientology, The Prison of Belief. And it talks about this specific- Oh yeah, it like goes the, into all of yeah. it. Like the, the top guys who were into Scientology right next to like the- like the vice president of Scientology literally like defected, went away from it. And he basically explained everything that happened. Wow. It's wild. And the head of Scientology, the guy who created it, L. Ron Hubbard, he, um, he died, I think in like the eighties, but he was also the most prolific nonfiction writer of all time. He's wrote more nonfiction than anybody in history. And he, huh. so basically the premise of Scientology is there's this galactic overlord named Xenu who, um, spawn some some race out of a volcano and um there's these spirit entities that exist called uh thetans that are like these non physical entities that you can't see that can get come in or get out of you depending on how clear you are in Scientology so the more you learn the crazier the more deep you get into Scientology like if there's levels just like a pyramid scheme and uh, once you get to like the top level, they start teaching you about this crazy intergalactic sci-fi things, like sci-fi shit that wouldn't scare any normal person away if they saw that at space value. But why, do you, why do you think all these guys are in, or so many, like John Travolta, Tom Cruise, Grant Cardone? Well, they, they got in it, I think. I think the, the most of the people got in it because I think there's a lot of value in the like the, the book Dianetics, like it's basically like being the best version of yourself, optimizing yourself, getting rid of all the negative influences in your life. There's a lot of like positive psychological elements to the premise of Scientology, to Dianetics, to basically help people become the best version of themselves they can possibly become. But once you get past that, like you get into that, you start to like pay some money for the fees. Some of these people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep rising the ranks. They get stuck and they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, you know? And um, once you get to a certain level, they start saying, okay, now you're aware enough to read the next chapter. And then they start to bring in the crazy, crazy, more crazy and crazy shit. And uh, another weird part of it is there's this thing called auditing that you have to do when you're in okay. Scientology. So you have to go and do this thing called auditing where you go in basically to a room and you hold these two metal rods and this person asks you questions about your personal life and you basically spill your guts about everything in your life, all the most fucked up things you've done, your worst thoughts you've ever had. And they keep detailed records of all this shit. And I think that's probably what happened with Tom Cruise and with John Travolta is they probably, you know, told them their deepest, dark, deepest, darkest secrets and they don't want those to be, to be made public. I feel like if it came out, like they could say anything about Tom Cruise, people would be like, yep, uh, okay. Yeah, I think so too. I don't know what it is. I think they basically, like most people in Scientology, get, get they get kept on some sort of a leash to where they're not allowed to interact with people of the outside world or any anyone with like huh. dissenting views or ideologies. Mm -hmm. Like if there's anybody, there's rules. Like if you talk to somebody who's not cool with, with uh, Scientology, it's like a, it's like a, it's a community of snitches. So they all spy on each other <laughs> and they all tell on each other. So if you see somebody doing something that's not like 
by the rule book of Scientology, yeah. they go and snitch on them and then you get in trouble and you go, I had, I actually, I had the, um, the dad of the see the head of Scientology, David Miscavige in my podcast. Oh, really? I had his dad on there. Is his dad in? No, his dad was in, but he, he was like, he was like imprisoning his dad and his dad escaped. Like, like literally it was like a, a prison break type thing. What? Yeah, bro. It is, it is absolutely what was his dad bananas. Saying? His dad was basically explaining his childhood. Um, you know, his son was really young, really, he was super motivated, super intelligent. Mm -hmm. And um, he went to go work for L. Ron Hubbard, who was the guy who founded Scientology in Hollywood, like working on film sets and stuff like that. And um, eventually just became L. Ron Hubbard's right-hand man, like his assistant. And then um, eventually L. Ron Hubbard died and David Miscavige just took over. You know, he just had it in him to just, he was this- this Be leader. This leader, yeah, he had this strong personality and he made everyone follow him. And um, I don't think he's been in the public light for years now because of all the stuff that's come out recently. I mean, there's there's tons of documentaries and TV shows of people that have left Scientology talking about how fucked up it is inside. And, um, you know, there's people being held like slaves being held in the building in Clearwater, that people that were there stuck there for years, that they weren't allowed to do anything. Like they were literally kept in rooms and... They had to work for free and they weren't allowed to leave. It's scary shit. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a documentary on, um, what's the church? Uh, they go and they like protest uh, um, all sorts of like, uh, maybe it's like abortion clinics. They go and they protest um, uh, like when soldiers die, I think. Uh, what, Westboro? Is that a oh, yeah, is that thing, that. right? Like they go and they protest and, yeah. and all stuff. And there was a woman who... Uh, uh, had defected, I guess. Uh -huh. And, uh, and she was talking about it and it was, she was like, I believed every single, like all yeah. these things. And they were like showing her videos of herself and she was like holding signs. And I forget what they were saying, but the signs were just like, when you look at the sign as a person with my background or your background, right. And, and not having grown up in that environment, you're like, that's like crazy stuff. Yeah, dude. It's crazy. Like, and, what and you she was saying, she's like, yeah. no, you don't understand. Like I, I believed that mm -hmm. in that video. That's not me. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy when you get sucked into shit like that. Like if that just becomes everything to you. It's you and you believe something. It feels right. Like yeah. you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, you don't have an outside perspective. I always think of uh, whenever I see stories in the news, um, intention. This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They've partnered with Blockchain.com to create NFT domain names ending in .blockchain. It's the perfect ending to show that you're a believer in a decentralized future. The Blockchain.com community can join a short waitlist to get one for free at Blockchain.com slash waitlist slash blockchain domain. Free NFT domains provide all the benefits of premium Unstoppable Domains, including fee-free lifelong ownership. If you don't have a blockchain.com wallet, no worries. There's new free domains available to everyone. Either join the waitlist for a free blockchain.com domain or visit unstoppabledomains.com to buy your domain today, starting as low as $5. Unstoppabledomains.com. This episode is brought to you by Valor, which represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified trusted access in crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols, all through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They currently are listed in the U.S. under the DEFTF stock ticker and on the Canadian NEO exchange under DEFI. 
For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. People can do good things by accident. Like they weren't trying to do good, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, They actually could be like nefarious actors who like fucked up and somehow did something good. Uh, Or somebody could be good intention, trying to do the right thing and they do something wrong. And it, if you just like read an article, you're never going to know. But like there are certain stories that blow up where um, if you think of, uh, take Fire Festival as an example, mm-hmm. like an entire generation of people know it as like this huge screw up, right? A, a kid gets in trouble, like all this type of stuff. But it's like, when I look at that, I'm like, hmm, based on the information that we have, was that person trying to do the right thing or not? And we'll never know the, the, the answer, right. right? But like, if you knew definitively, like that was uh, someone trying to do something nefarious, you'd think of it very differently of than if you knew definitively, like that person was trying to be a good person and like mm-hmm. do the right thing and like they just fucked it up, right? Right. And uh, what becomes interesting about this is you then look at these situations. Uh, I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy in Indiana who ran into a burning building, a uh, burning house. He's a food delivery guy. You see this? I didn't see this. He's driving down the street. And uh, all of a sudden, he sees uh, smoke coming out of a house. And he's like, that was, int- that was weird. He stops, he backs up, and he looks. He's like, oh, shit, that house is on fire. So he, like, runs towards the house uh, and somehow gets to the back door. I don't know if he couldn't get in the front door or what, but he, he gets uh, to the back door. And I think he, like, busted into the house. And he's like, holy shit, there's, like, flames and there's smoke everywhere and, like, all this stuff. And so he starts yelling, 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 whatever, and he starts going up uh some stairs. And as he's going up the stairs, all of a sudden there was three or four kids like under the age of like 12 all of a sudden come busting out of a room. And he like grabs them and he like takes them to the back door and gets them out. And he says to them, he's like, is there anybody else in the house? And they're like, uh, our little sister, I think. And he's like, where? And they're like, she's inside. She's inside. She's six. So this fucking savage goes back into the burning house and he like is he's, uh, I think what happens is he goes upstairs and he like finds her. And he comes back down, but he's lost now. He doesn't know where the back door is. So he's stuck in the house. So at some point he like looks up and he sees the stairs and there's like light. So he goes back up the stairs and he goes to a window and he punches out the window. When he punches out the window, obviously he cuts up his whole arm and everything. And he jumps off the second story with this little girl. And uh, the reason why the story got so much attention was the police are showing up at this point. They all have the body cams on. And so they're like showing up. And of course they're like, there's somebody inside. And like the firefighters are like <laughs> not moving as fast as you would think they would be doing if someone was inside. Uh, but there's like chaos or whatever. And all of a sudden here comes this guy running around the side of the house and he's got this little girl and he like collapses into the police's arms, hands the baby and he, and he falls on the ground and they have his arm blurred out in the video. So you know it's gotta be bad if they're mm-hmm. like blurring it. And the first words he says to the cops, he goes, is a little girl okay? He didn't give a fuck about his arm. Like, and you just like watching, you're like 99 out of a hundred times, that dude is a good dude who just acted in the moment and went and like did this. And you can tell because you have video, you hear the stories, like all the details, there's other people there or whatever, but we don't always get that. And so to me, it's like this fascinating uh, uh, example where like normally we just get like a little snippet. We don't get the body cam footage. We don't get to hear what the kids said or anything. It's just like, oh, somebody did something and we're just left to like, I don't know. They say he's a good person. Says he's a bad person. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's so different now. 
I thought you were going somewhere else with this. With what? I thought you were going to tell me that this guy was like a child molester or something. No. At the end. no. <laughs> like we think he's such a good guy, but he's I really don't think a piece so. of shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. He just wanted the kids. <laughs> no, no. But it's just like in that moment, like, you know, the, the hero is the person you least expect, right? It's like the pizza delivery guy right. who's like just driving down uh, randomly. Right. And it goes back to this whole thing of just like, man, that's somebody who just like was trying to do the right thing. I think generally people want to do the right thing. You think? Yeah, I think generally. I think people get caught up, like get lost in it. Like, like the fire festival guy, I think he was genuinely trying to make that shit work. Don't you? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think he basically like got in, got in a little bit over his head and shit started hitting the fan and he's like, tried to do everything in his possible reach to make that shit work. Yeah. And it obviously didn't work. I, I also don't think wonder- people really want to fuck people over. I mean, no. I think sometimes they get backed into a position where they, ha- they really have no choice. They have to like pick the lesser of the two evils, but- it's also, um, if you go back to like uh, uh, when all the PPP uh, loans mm-hmm. were coming out, um, I have a friend who he works in uh, uh, credit, right? And he was like, <laughs> as soon as that stuff started, he was like, now's the time when the fraud's going to start. And I was yeah. like, what? And he was like, yeah. He was like, a lot of people don't realize that like all the fraudulent stuff around loans and all that type of stuff um, is because people get desperate. Right. right. So he, he was like, you know, and, and this is like secondhand, but he was basically like, yeah, like a lot of times if you go and you look at, you know, some major corporation or something, uh, or somebody who was trying to get one of these PPP loans or whatever, uh, they like, oh, let me change this one detail this one time. Next you know, it spirals out of control. Mm. And so like, I don't, I don't know. It, it also makes you think um, how much social media like exasperates all of this, right? Like yeah. many of these stories, the guy in Indiana if we were living 50 years ago, like you and I would, wouldn't even heard of it. Right. Right. Cause it wasn't in our local paper mm-hmm. and it wasn't on local radio mm-hmm. or maybe local television. Now like that shit went fucking viral. Yeah. Right? People in other countries know about this random dude in yeah. Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so like, it just is like steroids to stories. Yeah. I mean, individuals definitely, you know, like people like that, you see stories like that with individual people, because like, if you're by yourself and you see something really bad happening or you see someone suffering, I feel like there's just this, this thing in our nature to help people. But the polar opposite of that, look, you went to Iraq, right? Mm -hmm. So like the military industrial complex starting wars, killing tons of innocent people just to make tons and tons of fucking profit and tons of money. Like you think of all those people in the government, Dick Cheney and all the bureaucrats in the US government, the 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 arms dealers that were making billions of dollars. Like there's this diffusion of responsibility when you get caught up in this giant system to mm-hmm. where it's just like this competition for money. I also greed. I also think a lot about like local decisions, global decisions. So like Let's say that we're in a corporation with 10,000 people and you and I are like customer service reps, right? We have no ability to make global decisions like for the entire corporation or any of that type of stuff. We're only local decision makers. Mm. So like maybe I make some decisions on calls that differ from yours. Maybe we make the same or whatever. Maybe we become a manager of like a team of like five to 10 people and we can make some local decisions for that team. But like the local decision makers have almost no impact on like what happens to the corporation or, or kind of the global. The reverse is also true, which seems weird because like the CEO and a lot of these like large organizations, they can make very big, you know, decisions, but like their, their ability to control the decision-making that happens like on the phone with the customer service rep, is 
very hard. Right. Right. Like it goes back to the diffusion. It's almost like the further you are away from like impact, Mm -hmm. the decision maker has less and less impact. Right. right? And so uh, a lot of times scandals and things that we read about in the news, especially in the business world, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time it's not actually the CEO. Yes, there are these outlier situations, but like, it's like, oh, a, a team did something or uh, there was like some weird uh, practice that got put, uh, uh, some weird hiring practice or uh, there was some like controversial decision that was made or whatever. And of course, as the CEO, like they're responsible whether they did it or not, right? Like those two right. the business, their business. Um, but it's just very, I don't know, it's just weird, right? Mm-hmm. And like, if you go to like the military industrial complex stuff, like who's responsible, could we point to one person? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess you could just be like, oh, leadership 101, like the person at the top, the president of the United States is responsible. Like, that'd be one argument. Another argument is like, no, actually there was like, even like a public private thing. Like there was the government, then there was all the defense contractors. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch something like uh, War Dogs. You ever seen that movie? Oh yeah. He's coming to my podcast tomorrow or Wednesday. Is he? Yeah. Which one? Pack house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like, that's real, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that whole situation is like a real thing. Like who's responsible for that? The government, bro. Are you kidding me? Like It's like they wanted the cheapest shit they could get to arm the Afghans, right? Like they didn't give a fuck how good the guns and the ammo were for the Afghans, but they had this, this embargo on China, this political yes. thing they had to yes. portray to the public. But like, is it when you say the government, right? Like this is where it gets into, is it the politicians? Is it like, I don't know, a general who's going in and like he's part of the legislation or whatever? Is it like uh, the lobbyist, right? There's like all these different parts to just like yeah. the government. Mm-hmm. And it gets weird because like, yeah, agreed, right? Like the government. Right. And then it's like, okay, cool. Who 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 is the government? Right. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, actually, person? it's like a little bit of all of them. Right. Right. It's kind of like one plus one plus one equals three. You can't blame the three. You got to almost like try to break it down. It's very fucking weird. It is, man. I mean, could you, it's fucking crazy to me that there was even a website where you could just go bid on these federal contracts like this. The like, fact- but there's pros and cons to that. Yeah. Right? Like, like in, right, in, in just, some way, yeah. it helps small businesses. Right. In another way, two dudes with a fucking computer. They didn't do anything bad, really. Did they? Like, they they, made, they didn't really... I know Packhouse didn't make any money. He got fucked, but... Yeah, well, it, it goes back to, like, again, good intention, bad intention, right? Mm-hmm. Which, again you should ask, right? Like, right, like, like right. try to try to unpack that. But also it's like, did you know that it was something you weren't supposed to be doing? Mm. Well, like Uber, when they went to New York city, knew that they weren't supposed to be providing the Ubers because the taxi medallions and all the shit, but like they had to push up against the local regulation right. in order to right. get people to exactly. do it. So yeah. it's like very it's weird. very blurry. Yeah. Because, and it's the same thing with War Dogs. It's, it's almost the same thing as Fire Festival. Like they got in so deep, they got the contract. Fuck, we got to do everything we can to fulfill this order. give us $20 million, now we, all we have is this Chinese, we're already, we're already balls deep into this deal. We have to do everything we can. So repackage it, put it in cardboard yeah. boxes. and The reverse is happening right now. Do you know uh, uh, with Russia, China, and uh, oil and like energy? So Russia, I don't know, I don't know the details, but I think Russia is getting super rich off China buying their oil. So yes, but Europe is like virtue signaling. We're not going to buy Russian oil or natural gas, Mm. right? Or or at least, uh, 
most Russian or uh, European countries are saying like, hey, we're not going to do this. We don't want to su- support this country that just invaded Ukraine right. and all stuff. <clears throat> so guess who they're buying it from? The Chinese. Oh my God. <laughs> but guess Shut what China's up. getting it from? Russia. <laughs> so literally there was this article, I think it was in like New York Times or Wall Street Journal. And it was like, Russia is selling their uh, uh, energy to China. China's just like marking it up 2X and then turning around and selling it to Europe. <laughs> Which like, again, you look at it and you're like, this is so dumb. But then you, that's like the global analysis with all of the information. But you look at each individual decision and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, European country A doesn't want to buy from Russia because they don't want to support this like situation. Okay, like I think most people are like, all right, like I see that logic. I might agree, might not agree, whatever, but like I see the logic. But then when you're like, oh, by the way, okay, Russia's just going to sell it to China. China's going to market up 2X and now you're going to go broke and also uh, potentially freeze. Yeah. Fuck. Dude, it's so weird. Everything's about making money. Everything is just about money. Like it's all about like me and him were talking about earlier. The, the world is the WWE, bro. Why do you Why do you think that? It's just, I know just, Matt thinks that. <laughs> why do you think that? It's just it's all about fucking gimmicks. It's all about selling gimmicks. It's all about pers- like selling perspective and like selling stories. That's really what it all is. How do you think about the state of like media and content today? Like along those lines, if everything's a story. How much of it is like on the internet away from the big, uh, whether it's the Disney's, the, you know, Hollywood studios and like the New York times of the world versus like, those are still very relevant and and will be for a long time. I don't know. I think, I think, um, I don't think that big media companies are going to, are going to be around forever for Mm -hmm. much. I don't know how much longer, but like New York times and like cable news and for sure, like traditional cable TV shows are dying on the vine, right? Like like the reality show boom that happened 10 years ago with like Pawn Stars and Duck Dynasty and all that shit. Nobody watches that. I don't I don't think anymore. Um, Duck Dynasty was fucking fire when it came Duck out. Duck Dynasty <laughs> was sick, wasn't it? <clears throat> <laughs> These dudes got his beards and they're rich. Like yeah. if you were America was enthralled. <laughs> yeah. It just I mean it just keep, it's evolving. I think the independent what does it get replaced journalism with? wins over everything i think uh independent journalism like the people like you and me the people that are just like have microphones in a room talking about shit and invite like like it's it's a great it's such a it's such a natural exchange doing shit like this right Mm -hmm. because we're we're talking on each other's shows and we help each other because we're exchanging our views our audience Mm -hmm. our eye the eyeballs the attention and there's no there's no conflicting manipulative outside elements in this Mm -hmm. right it's just super it's natural um i think a lot about uh you you ever seen like people like oh would you take five hundred thousand dollars or dinner with jay-z you ever seen that like meme on the internet yeah yeah uh would you rather be, uh, uh, let's say, doing documentaries with the New York Times, or would you rather have a YouTube channel with five hundred thousand? YouTube channel, hundred percent. Are you kidding? Like, all day. I think I don't know who else. I don't know who would, who. I think that if you went and you asked people, and, and I'm picking on New York Times just because mm. they're probably the biggest from a subscriber standpoint, but like all of the major mainstream media, and you ask them, would you rather? be in your job or would you rather be with the YouTube channel with 500 subscribers? I think most of them would pick the YouTube channel too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I had, I mean, I spent a lot of my life, um, trying to sell TV shows to like big TV networks. What was that like? And it was terrible. I mean, it was fun doing it. Like I, I did a couple of big projects where I spent years like in crazy situations, filming really crazy shit. Like in the, one of them, I, I got to spend like five years in the Caribbean, like just to film a TV pilot. And uh, sh- then I got to shop the sizzle to, I got to meet with all the biggest TV networks there are. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it ended up being like six years and the thing got to a green light meeting at Spike TV and the CEO of Viacom killed it at the green light meeting. And that was just like, okay, where do we go from here? Like this is six it's years. It's just over. It's, it's not necessarily over. I mean, you can keep yeah. trying. Yeah, I yeah. mean, a lot of the, it's just. Yeah, but over with Spike TV. With Spike TV, yeah. But we had already pitched it to like every other every other network. And the, and the weird thing about doing it is like you take this cool idea that you think is great, that you've been working on forever, that you think is exciting. And you pitch it to all these buyers. They all have notes. They all want to be like, uh, make, make these edits for us. We think we can sell it if you change it this much. All 16 production companies are saying that same thing. And so at the end of the day, you're just banging your head against a wall trying to re-edit stuff to hopefully sell it and get paid for this project you've been working on for five years. And it 99% is not going to go anywhere. And that's how I started my YouTube channels. I started just taking the stuff that I was trying to sell to, to traditional um, TV networks and packaging it for YouTube. And that's why I learned YouTube. to start my own shit. Yeah. And how long did it take for you to realize it was going to work? To realize what YouTube was going to work? Yeah. <laughs> Like the first video you post, how many views does it get? A couple hundred, maybe. That's I was learning. Good. I was learning from. Uh, well, I, I just talked to a bunch of my friends. I had. A, I have a really good friend who. Um, he actually they just sold their company called Dupont Registry. Okay, what is um, that? It's a. It's basically like a uh, the millionaire's auto trader. It's just like high end cars and yachts, mm -hmm. but it's like the auto trade. It started out as like the auto trader for Lambos and Rolls Royces, basically. Okay, <laughs> and um, it was really big in like the '90s and early 2000s. <laughs> And uh, they recently just sold it. But I used to work, I worked for them right out of high school for my buddy. I, it was my friend whose parents owned it. So we like developed all the social media stuff for them because it was right when companies decided they needed to be on social media. Mm -hmm. So my buddy's dad was like, we need a YouTube channel. Danny, you're good at making videos. So we started getting all these crazy cars in all the time and making these sick videos and built a YouTube channel for them. And, um, so that worked and you were like, okay, that cool. worked. I learned kind of the formula there, like how, yep. how it works when I have unlimited money to do whatever I wanted to do. And then from there, I left there, started working on like, on like developing TV, working on movies and, and, um, going through that whole rigmarole. And then I went to like, fuck, I'm going back to square one. I'm going back to just YouTube. I'm going to repackage all this crazy shit that I'm working on. And posting it myself and just whatever I think is cool, I'm going to post it online. Mm -hmm. How um, much do you think about the content itself versus like the distribution of it? Like driving people to go see it? Uh, in the beginning of it, it was all distribution. Like I would post a video and then I would email probably like 200 blogs and websites being like, and I would lie to them. I would be like, <laughs> I would be like, yo, I just came across this sick video. I think <laughs> your uh, website viewers would love check it out or whatever. I would send that exact email to like a hundred, 200 blogs and try to get it. And it, it worked. Really? A, a lot of them posted. Yeah. I had one video. One of the first videos I did uh, that really blew up was a video down here. It was a guy buying a $4 million Lamborghini Veneno. And it was one of four. They made one in like the, or no, maybe one of three. How many colors are in the Italian flag? Three, three. maybe? Three. So the, yeah. So there's green, white, and What's the other color? Red. Red. So there was one with green trim, white trim, and red trim. He bought the one with green trim. Four and a half million bucks. He bought it down South Beach, and I filmed like him getting the car delivered. I interviewed him about it. And then uh, I edited the video, emailed a bunch of blogs about it, and the thing had like two million views in like two days. It was crazy. Whoa. That was the first time I saw a video go viral. I was like watching my phone. Like, <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> What's the next one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and so yeah, what about it, now? Now, now it's you just um, post and don't do anything. Yeah, now it's just now it's so much different. Now it's um it's weird because we're like in this 
podcast world, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like trying to be, I just try to do everything I can to be different from other podcasts because there's so many fucking podcasts. Yeah. Everyone's a podcast. So I try to venture out of like the, the typical podcast guests that like do the, the rotation. Yep. You know, there's so many people that do so many different podcasts. And I, I, I talk to people that are interesting that are on like tons of other podcasts, but most of my, most of my podcast episodes that have been most successful were people that had never done podcasts before, people that had never been interviewed on camera before or mm-hmm. been in the media at all before. Mm-hmm. And is that something that introduces volatility? So you get some of the outsized, super viral, very popular videos, but also you'll post a video and get no views? Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. I'll, I'll, I mean, there's a lot of that that happens for sure. Um, I think that's why a lot of people don't do it. Yeah, because it's, so, it's risky, right? Like they, 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 net, yeah. they, they, ha- they need the safety net. They yeah, want to know, think, hey, I'm getting my 50, 100,000 views on every video. They don't want to risk, I could get 5,000 or I could get 5 million. That's the Nelk Boys model, right? They get, we're just going to get the most, we got unlimited money. Again, Dana White's going to fly in, fly in Trump or we're going to go to Mar-a-Lago. They're going to just get the most famous people they know that are guaranteed going to yeah. get. I mean, that's the smart way to do a podcast. You know you're going to be successful. But I think my mindset is the opposite. I want to get people that no one have ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And- what like when that happens? Do you see those people then blow up and go on a bunch of other podcasts? Yeah, yeah. yeah. one of the most successful uh, examples of that is this guy Matt Cox, who emailed me when he was in the halfway house. Um, he was literally emailing me from the halfway house right when he got out of prison. He's like, "Hey, I want to uh, sell my book script." He, funny enough, going back to War Dogs, he wrote the manuscript for War Dogs. What? And Warner Brothers stole it from him. <laughs> Whoa, 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 hold on. Who is this guy? His name's Matthew Cox. He's a, he's a, he was a mortgage fraudster. So he okay. committed tons of mortgage fraud right okay. in, like in 2004, 2005, I think, um, 2006, right before the collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on the run. Basically what he was doing was he was renting houses and stealing people's identities, taking out mortgages, claiming he was the owner of these houses when he wasn't. So he was getting fake mortgage. He was faking his faking, creating fake people and taking out mortgages under these fake people's names. That doesn't sound legal. Yeah. Okay. Um, he went to prison for like twenty something years, and he just said, "I'm going to become a writer in prison." And he met Devaroli in prison, uh, who's the Dever- Ephraim Devaroli. He was the guy who basically was the main character of War Dogs, and um, he wrote Devaroli's memoir. He basically like went to his cell every day when he was in there and wrote his personal story. And then um, Devaroli got out before he did. Devaroli only did four years. So Devaroli got out, took the manuscript, and sold it to Warner Brothers without math permission. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So there's a big lawsuit that happened. Oh, so they're still trying I to figure it out. I think they're still trying to figure it out, yeah. yeah. And so uh, did this Matthew Cox, he's out now? So yeah. So yeah, he got out in 2019, the beginning of 2019. So he did like he did 12, 15 years? Yeah. So he, yeah, exactly. I think he did right about... I think he actually did, I want to say it was 16 years. So 2019 minus 16 years, that's when he went in. So I might be a little bit wrong mm-hmm. on when he was committing all that crime. But um, anyways, yeah, he was emailing me right out of the halfway house trying to convince me to do a documentary about him or do like a sell a TV show about him or a movie about him. And I was just basically, he was emailing me so many times, I kept ignoring his emails. And uh, he's finally, uh, I emailed him back. I'm like, yo, I'm like, we can do a podcast and see if there's any interest. And then if there's a lot of interest, maybe I can help you in other ways. 
and he was, he was not interested. And, uh, he was doing, he was on work release. And then one day I had a, a podcast guest who had to reschedule and I called Matt up from that while he was in the halfway house. I'm like, yo, can you get here this afternoon and do a podcast? And he, he did it. And that was like one of my biggest podcasts. How many views? I think it had like total, maybe like five or 6 million views. And why was everyone so interested? Because he's just, I think, I think it was his personality. He's just charismatic. He's a really charismatic storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's a really good storyteller. And just the way he told a story, it was just like watching him talk about his story was like watching a fucking movie, like watching a catch me if you can or something like that. Really? Yeah. It's fascinating. And he, so he took that opportunity and he has created his own YouTube channel. Now he has like over 50,000 subscribers. He sold thousands of books. He was, he became the face of a company called home title lock. So he's now like the brand ambassador for home title lock. He had companies flying him all across the world, like flying him out to talk to their board members, like he's really oh, made so it's kind of like uh, the guy catch uh, from Catch Me If You Can, where he basically was like, "Hey, I did all these things, but let me teach you how to prevent somebody else from doing yes, all these things." Yes, exactly. Got it. Exactly. So he literally took that opportunity from that podcast, how popular it was, and fucking made built like a little empire out of it. It's incredible. Yeah, it it, it is so cool to see uh, people who nobody knows kind of blow up. Yeah. Right. It, it's um, it's like a discovery thing. I think a lot about like. Uh, Talent is so innate to everything that we do in life. Like if you run a business, you're trying to find people to uh, hire. If you're an investor, mm-hmm. you're trying to find people to invest in. If you're creating content on the internet in an interview style, you're trying to find people who are interesting, whether they're known already, not known or whatever. And, right. and in some way you're like a broker, right? You're like trying right. to find the guest and then bring them to your audience. But there's very few people who can do it where like they're unknown completely to the internet. Mm. And those people are special. Yes, yeah. Like when you, and, and I do think that like, sometimes you like find one. We had one in uh, the Bitcoin world in 2018 where I remember we got done with the interview and I was like, holy shit. And I like turned like bought more Bitcoin. <laughs> really? I, yeah. I was, I was like, dude, I, I don't even know what you just were talking about, but like that was fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, and we put it out and it just exploded. I mean, it was like, you put it out within the first like 30 minutes. You're like, yep, here we go. And it just exploded. Um, but I do think something about like that probably happens more often than we think. And it's just um, serendipity, right? Like how did like this guy just emailed you a bunch mm. and then another podcast guest didn't show up and then you called him. He happened to be close. Yeah. And like, how did like, you could have never set out to be like, let's go find somebody in the mortgage fraud, you know, world. And like the mm. top down approach wouldn't have worked. Yeah, you're right. Some of the best things, some of the best shit happens when you don't plan it at all. And it just happens like serendipity. Yeah. And also I think uh, the New York Times would have never done that. No. Right? Because that person in some way uh, is a risk to the brand. Mm. And so like sometimes like the brand actually prevents you from talking to certain types of people. Mm. Right? Because like there's a stamp of approval. Right. If the new, whether it should be that way or not, it's just in the eyes of the audience, if it's written about in the Wall Street Journal, they stamped it. Right. They said, this is legit. They said, you know, whatever. And it's why like, uh, I don't know, Theranos, people are like, oh, look at all the reporters who wrote all these articles, like whatever. And they're like, you're supposed to like have the bar. You're supposed to like be the the certifier. Right. Which like, yes, the internet is taking that power back. Right. And, and, and kind of saying, hey, look, maybe that's not a good thing. Um, but like you and I could bring all kinds of people. 
mm-hmm. have a conversation with them and the audience would love it. Yeah. Right. Versus like, can you imagine if uh, somebody at the New York times like talked to this guy? Yeah. But it's also scary too, because companies like, like fate or um, YouTube and Twitter are becoming the same thing. Right. Do you worry about them taking your stuff down? Oh yeah. All the time. I mean, I, 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 I obviously I have to think about it. That sucks having to think about it because it stifles your creativity. You know, we, we, um, not only think about it, like we like have actively been like, should we like have a plan? Can, can, are there things that we're not supposed to talk about? I mean, that's like a crazy thing to say in the United States of America, are the things that we're not supposed to talk about that we can talk about, but we can put it on the platform and like put it in a way where it won't get taken down. Mm, like how specifically? Uh, there's certain topics that uh, I personally believe get suppressed. Really? You should talk to somebody who says something critical about China and put it on YouTube, and you tell me whether you think that video got suppressed or not. Again, it's not every video. It's not all mm-hmm. this stuff. But rather than say C-H-I-N-A, what if it says C-H asterisk N-A? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to somebody else who was saying the same, kind of the same thing, but he was basically saying that he thinks about his, he does long-form podcasts, and he's saying that he will personally put the um, controversial topics towards the end of the podcast, like after the hour and a half mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he just uh, thinks the YouTube employees won't listen that far. Right, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, but like having to like consciously think about that is crazy. But, I, but, I, but it's also like, is it just the controversial topics or like I do one, we had our channel deleted one time. Really? I, oh, I don't know if you know this. Yeah. Uh, we were like on a live stream and uh, uh, we were interacting with the audience, doing all stuff. We had a guest, whatever. And then, Right uh, at the end of the video, um, the video ended and I got like an email and then a second email immediately and then the channel was just gone. And like I got a big enough Twitter following where I just like raised hell and I was like, mm-hmm. yo, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And they basically were like, oh, sorry, like an employee made a mistake. And I was like, dude, one employee has the ability to just like <laughs> zap. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and that's not a YouTube. That's just like every social media uh, platform has this, mm-hmm. but like we forget like what's the better solution, right? Like how bureaucratic would it become if you need like five employees to approve it? Right. So it's local decision, global decision, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it has to like, there are probably individual people working from home from YouTube that work at YouTube that they just have to probably go through and approve a a thousand monetizations on YouTube videos every single day. You know, I don't, I mean, maybe not, maybe it's probably AI. Yeah. You ever read the stories of, uh, uh, the content moderators at Facebook? So I think so. A lot of them, I might've seen a podcast about this. I don't know about the podcast, but there's an article and a lot of them have like, uh, at least the early signs, if not the actual signs of PTSD. What? Be, well, think about it. If, um, uh, so there's two groups of folks. There's the content moderators and then also drone operators. Uh, my wife, uh, has written about this before where, so like the drone operators, I think is like a clearer example. So you're like, I don't know, in Arizona in like, uh, room and it's all computers and stuff. Right. And you're sitting there, but you're like operating a drone that's like somewhere else. And all of a sudden they're like, you know, okay, locks on, like, oh yeah, that's a bad person or whatever. Like fire. You hit a button and it explodes. That's weird. You're disconnected from this killing that you're doing. Yeah. Then you like go to like dinner. (laughs) Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like like, like it's like a weird, weird, weird thing. So like there's been articles now that are like, hey, yeah, like the remote drone operators, like fucking crazy world. 
But also, um, there, there's one specific video I remember. I, I worked at Facebook for two years. And uh, at, at one point, um, there was a video from the Middle East. All the details don't matter. Uh, but basically, uh, it was a propaganda video where uh, allegedly they captured a foreign pilot and uh, the video was very graphic. They basically filmed uh, the killing and burning of this pilot. It was done in a super like cinematic way. There was music, there was all this shit. And when it got on the Facebook platform, it was just replicate. And it was almost like a, like the equivalent of a bot farm, but it is all over the platform. So Facebook, this wasn't the first time they dealt with this stuff, right? They're like trying to say, hey, this, this violates all of our community guidelines, like all this type of stuff. They're trying to get it off the platform because it was the type of video where like, I went to Iraq. I've seen plenty of crazy stuff, whatever. Like, I was like, dude, this graphic ass video, right? Like, this is one of those videos that, like, if your parent. The guy was getting killed while he was alive. Like, he was like, what were they, like, decapitating him or something? It, it was like in a desert. Uh, they, like, had him in a cage and mm-hmm. they, like, doused him and they lit oh, on fire. Fuck. And, like, like, it was, like, bad, right? Yeah. And so, and so people were replicating this video? It, it looked like, uh, to some degree, and again, I'm, I, I understood it because I talked to somebody who was like working on it, but it looked like almost um, you take a video and you upload it, but if you expect that they're going to try to take it down, then you have like 50 pages or 100 pages okay. and you post it to a bunch of them or whatever. And right. like they were almost, it seemed like doing it in like an automated fa- uh, mm, fashion. Got it. And so it was like a whack-a-mole game, got right? Um, and so I remember thinking to myself like, dude, there's somebody who like, Somebody flagged it. They reviewed it, whatever. Recently it's come out. Well, there's like content moderation teams and they sit all day long and they review content. Well, if it's flagged for like violence, it's like people shooting people, stabbings, like all, like all this stuff. You just sit and watch that all day. Yeah. You're going to be fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It makes a lot of sense, huh? Right. Like imagine if you just watched like gruesome things that the, that platforms decide shouldn't be on the platform. And your job is to just sit there and be like, nope, that's good. This is not good. Nope. That's good. Mm. This is not good. Crazy. Fuck, that's a crazy thing. I never even thought about. Wow, man. Well, Twitter allows a lot of that shit, don't they? So Twitter, I just saw a video on Twitter like a week ago of this dude getting in a fist fight. And then this guy just pulls out a knife hits him in the neck and then he's standing there and you just see blood shooting out of his neck and then he collapses. You should go back and see if it's still there. I don't know if you know like what account or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Cause I always wonder when I see videos, you know, like that, is it just because like they haven't caught it yet and nobody's like reported mm. it and then once it gets reported, that, it gets it was taken that down. guy, Andy No, he posted it. He reposted it. Uh, you know who yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy, he, he was like what, in the Portland protest or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he got his ass kicked or something by a bunch of Antifa people or something. I, I think that he, he <laughs> I think that might happen more than once. And now yeah. like he kept going back. Um, yeah. But like that content is just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It, it makes you think a lot about the content that gets uploaded. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, I mean, going back to what you're talking about, about companies like the New York times and the wall street journal, it's like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube are essentially worse than they are because they're, they're like the monopoly that controls all of the fucking media distributors. Like mm-hmm. they're not just, they're not just the, the corporation that provides the journalism. They're the corporation that distributes the corporations that provide the journalism. So when you're like, when you're fucking dealing with like, they don't, I don't like, they're just dealing with their policies or trying to make shit conform to their policies. But when you start to talk about like, 
them censoring stuff based on ideology, you kind of get crazy. Like it's, is it sounds good. And I want to, like, I like everyone talks about it, but it's just, it's hard for me to fathom that they really are taking shit down. I don't think, again, on a global basis, I don't think that uh, the platforms generally mm-hmm. are like all content from one political party is good or bad. Mm. I, I find like with you, I'm like, that's hard for me to believe. I've been inside of one of the companies. Right, right. You worked um, with, with Snapchat too, right? Yeah, for, for a little while. And, and when you like look at it, it's like at Facebook, there was definitely like a single piece of content would get shared. Some people like, hey, what is this or, or whatever. But it, at least from what I saw in 2014, 2015, it was never like all good, all bad, this political party, that political mm-hmm. party. But then you look at like, take Twitter. I never worked at Twitter, but uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah. Like that, again, local decision, we'll call it local, even though it had a yeah. global impact, local decision in terms of this one piece <clears throat> of content, are we going to allow it? And it wasn't like- um, He said the FBI told him not to, Zuckerberg just said the FBI is one that they tipped him like off. Like warned not. him or something, yeah. right? Yeah. To like, so I, and I think they, I think what he said to Rogan was that they like suppressed the distribution, but didn't completely block it. Mm-hmm. Which again, like- Sure. It, it, well, <laughs> it, it just gets into this whole game of like, I always try to put myself in their shoes. What should they have done? Mm-hmm. Right? And like, it's a complicated fucking world because guess what? If it had been not the true story or, or whatever, like basically what they were warned of, then all of a sudden, you, if you just let everything fly, you know, it's just like this weird world. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah, you understand. So it's kind of it's kind of like lose lose to some degree, right? But with the Twitter thing, I was I remember people were like sharing screenshots. Like I can't DM this privately to my friend. Right, you can't even DM shit. Fuck. <laughs> and that's when I was like, all right, like this is kind of crazy well, stuff. I mean, and it was a New York Post article. It wasn't like uh, from what I remember, the thing that was being blocked wasn't like uh, uh, you know Danny's Wild Conspiracy Theory Right, it was like one of the longest standing media outlets in the country. Right, right. And again, sure, some people don't think that they do, you know, real work or whatever, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, that and the, all the vaccine shit, like that specifically, that's easy to type, figure out the motives behind that. It's all money. It's like the pharmaceutical industry pushing their vaccines. Like they don't want anybody talking negatively about, about vaccines. We, we posted a video recently <laughs> and uh, we had a guest on. And he was talking about how uh, we're essentially moving from uh, an American-dominated uh, kind of global world order uh, to this like multipolar world. Now, multipolar world just means that like there'll be like the American view of the world. There might be like a Russia-China view of the world, and maybe there's even like a you know I don't know whatever other mm-hmm. views of the world. But like we're gonna have multiple views of the world. It won't be so much globalization. It'd be more like nationalism. Uh, and this is something that. They're talking about on every media outlet. Uh, we have politicians talking about it. We have uh, economists talking about it. Like this is a question right now. Are we going to continue with globalization or are we going to pull back from that a little bit due to geopolitical conflict, supply chain disruptions, like all these different things. So this guy was talking about uh, the new world order like falling. So he was saying like, hey, like this this thing that people have talked about is like not going to be a thing in the future. We're going to go back to like an American-centric view of the world and okay. then other places. Okay. And we titled the video something like, uh, is, the, is the new world order, is the world order falling, right? And YouTube put like a, uh, a warning or like a, uh, con- I think it was a context panel 
to a Wikipedia yeah. article and it was like right. new world order. This is a conspiracy theory by people, blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, man, like sure. Maybe there's like an extreme version of it, but like the way that he was using it was not like there's five people who run the world. He was right. using it. as just like the way the world has been yeah. is not going to be the same way moving forward. Right. And that was the first time I saw, said to myself, I was like, Oh, they're probably using like AI or something. They just see a phrase mm-hmm. and they immediately put the thing. That's not human reviewed. It can't be right. Oh, cause if you watch the video, you'd be like, mm-hmm. Oh, these guys are just, it, he used a poor choice of words at worst. Mm. Right. But again, you're doing this for billions of videos. <laughs> like what are you going to have? You know, a hundred million people to sit there and watch a couple of videos every day. Like, right. No, right. Can't do that. Yeah. The whole like view of, you, I wonder if it, if when it will change, when uh, humans will evolve into not thinking like Russians, Americans, Chinese, you know, and like you, when, you like, we'll do that? when the tribal mentality of humans will, if it, if we'll get wiped out before that happens, but I wonder what it would take for us to evolve into something. Just thinking of like everybody as just humans. You need catastrophe, unfortunately. You need catastrophe. Yeah, you probably do, right? Think about it. Or aliens. uh, Republicans, Democrats, like all of a sudden those lines kind of blur and everyone's just like un-American when there's like an external threat to America. Right. Right? Right. Uh, And sure, there's some idiots that try to politicize things, whatever, but like for the most part, okay. 9-11 was a good example. Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, fucking America. Um, And then like you see like Europe comes together when the Russia Ukraine stuff happens, mm-hmm. right? So like, th- there's this almost like external risk or catastrophe. It seems aliens yeah. would aliens, be like a fucking global aliens, yo, humans first, whatever's coming. <laughs> yeah, because politicians, political parties, and and governments would lose their power. They would lose the allegiance of their people. They would lose Democrats and Republicans, and they would we would just have Earthlings. Do you think that aliens are real? Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I think, I think, I, I don't know. I think they're real. I, I, uh, I don't not think they're real. I for sure think that, I mean, just from the people that I've talked to that. So say, let's, let's just say, let's say that they exist. I think the more important question is, will we interact or discover them during our lifetime? I think they exist, but the thing I don't know is what are they? Okay. Explain. Or like uh, where they came from, I think is the question. I think something exists. Whether like whether it's time travelers or something from another planet or um, some sort of civilization living under the ocean, there's gotta be I want to know who's responsible for those fucking those UFO videos. Like somebody advanced is responsible for that. I don't know if it's the US, Russian or Chinese government. I don't think it's. I think it's too advanced. Some somebody some Tic Tac thing is someone wild. else has got to be responsible for that. I don't think it's humans. The Tic Tac thing is the one. Uh, yeah. Was it a uh, Bob Lazard? Right, you know this guy is. Mm-hmm. He's the one who worked at uh, Area Fifty One mm, or whatever. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh yeah, there was like like disc looking spaceships." <laughs> you right. like, "All right, that was like forty years ago." Yeah, he, he described <laughs> traditional flying saucers. Yeah, and so like, all right, then you see the Tic Tac thing, and it's just again, I, I'm not a. Uh, uh, what is it like a uh, expulsion engineer or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, propulsion. Uh, propulsion. Yeah. Propulsion engineer. See, I told you I was, <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, when you think of it, it's like, dude, I never seen anything do that before. Mm-mm. Like, I don't know if you saw a video recently, uh, on Twitter 
and they have like a screenshot. It's this thing that like look appears to be like flying down uh, the sidewalk, like fast. And it's got like a little light. Mm, I haven't seen and, that. Uh, and there's a, a screenshot of it. And of course, like the way the screenshot is, it just looks like fucking crazy thing, right? right. And it, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, that could be like a bullet, right? That just like the way that the air kind of behind the bullet or something, that could mm. be something else. Like I, I have no clue. Yeah. But like, I don't trust any videos I see anymore. No, I don't trust anybody that I see, especially, no. I mean, especially when it's on TV, even if it's not like social media, you see something on social media and it's probably bullshit, right? If you see something like a UFO that somebody just posts, but if it's on TV, you can almost guarantee it's bullshit because there's so many like shows like Ancient Aliens, all those history channel shows, they just over-dramatize all that shit so much. You, you ever know? talked to one of those guys? No. I, I had an ancient alien researcher oh, on a really? podcast like two years ago. Uh, Bruce Fenton, I think is his name. And... Uh, uh, he, he had me until like the very end and he, he's like walking through like the dinosaurs, and like all this stuff and mm. all these theories or whatever. And then he was like at the very end, he's like, and by the way, they're ancient aliens. And I was like, you lost me on that part. But like, well, there's like theory behind yeah. up until some point. Well, here's the, the mo there's evidence. Like there is evidence of super advanced technology back in the eight days of like the end like the Egyptian times. Like if you actually dissect the timeline, there's this dude who has a fascinating YouTube channel. His name's, uh, his channel's called Uncharted X. Okay. Um, and he goes to, he's been to Egypt and Mesopotamia and I forget the other places that he's been to, but he studies like the ancient ruins. He studies like the pyramids and all the different ruins in Egypt and other areas around the world. And he d focuses down on like specific engineering that was used. So one of the best examples to me is the core drilling. Mm -hmm. So there's like this basalt rock that is used for the, like those stones that you see on the pyramids, super, super hard fucking rock. I'm, I'm going to sound like an idiot the way I describe this because I don't know. I don't know the specific details, but, um, he looks at these giant pieces of fucking stone, like big, like twice as big as this entire table of basalt. And there's clearly like a giant circular, perfectly symmetrical blade that is cut into them in some of them. They're, and they're giant. And okay. these rocks are so hard that some of our most advanced machines today that cut granite countertops could, could not even cut them, especially on that scale. Interesting. On top of that, there's these cores that are drilled in these rocks, these perfectly cylindrical cores that are that are drilled out of these rocks that in no, like this technology we didn't even have in the 80s mm -hmm. or the 90s. And this supposedly happened in the times of, of ancient Egypt. <laughs> so like he he takes the evidence and then and then there's pottery. And there's some pottery that is like, have you ever seen a piece of clay that's molded like on a clay wheel? Mm -hmm. Like people like they yeah, throw yeah. on the wheel and they make this perfectly symmetrical yep. piece of clay pottery. It's basically identical to a piece of clay pottery in symmetry and smoothness, but it's the hardest rocks that exist on earth. That is that if you gave it to anybody today with the most advanced technology, they would not be able to replicate that out of that stone. That's crazy. Unless like, unless like some people argue that maybe they, they, they melted it, you know, kind of like how we yeah, like yeah. form concrete yep. with like wet concrete and then we form it perfectly. Yep. But uh, 
the science behind it is they couldn't have yeah. made that molten and, and formed that. And yeah, they, they couldn't have done that. Yeah. So he he go, goes deep into this shit, and the only explanation is that there was some sort of super advanced civilization that happened that existed before the Egyptians, that the Egyptians basically took it from them and repurposed it. Can you imagine if at some point in the future it was like, hey, the aliens aren't coming; they were already here. Yeah, like, yeah. like we're actually the dumb version. Yes, of of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of the people to inhabit mm-hmm. Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's probably the most logical thing. Is what happened was there was a super advanced civilization that existed back then. Cataclysms came. Obviously, there's like in ancient texts, the Bible, um, all of the ancient texts from around the globe. There's depictions of cataclysms, of fire mm-hmm. in the sky, of mm-hmm. of massive floods. And this is all vindic. This all is you could interpret it as um, asteroids or comets mm-hmm. hitting the Earth and melting the ice caps and mm-hmm. like making the world flood. Mm-hmm. And this could easily wipe out a large percent of the population. Now, if there was some sort of advanced civilization and they figured out how to survive and or escape the planet somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the theories. That's a crazy, you, there's no evidence that that happened, yeah. but it's it. If you look at some of the technology that this guy, Ben from uncharted X has discovered, there's been virtually zero, zero explanations for what he's discovered. Yeah. Modern. It, there's no modern technology that could do what has been done to those stones back then, even today. I don't have the answers, but I love this shit. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> right? Because it, it just feels like, uh, like almost like a detective trying to like figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating just to like that's to think about that kind of shit really lights my fucking mind up because yeah. it's something that it, it's just one of those things. I think it's something that's ingrained deep in in our primitive brains that we just want to. We're we're just naturally interested in that shit because it's like, where did we come from? What, what are we missing yeah. from this whole thing? I agree. Where can we send people to find your podcast? Uh, on YouTube, concrete spelled K O N C R E T E. That's you- the main place people watch it. Uh, actually Spotify has been, our, our Spotify audience has been growing tremendously too. So we actually have more people who watch our episode on Spotify, weirdly enough than we have on YouTube. Really? Yeah. So if you just search concrete podcast on Spotify, it's on iTunes too, but so yeah. the, like the audio side has been growing tremendously. It's hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Why'd you use a K for concrete? Because um, I had another, so before I started doing YouTube, I had a advertising agency and I got a cease and desist from a company in California who had the same name and it was just me and my friend at that time. So we didn't have money to, to fight a lawsuit. So we just changed the name. And uh, a buddy of mine who was actually in the, tra- the real concrete industry he uh, he said, "Hey man, there's this cool domain name we almost bought for our company, but it's just spelled concrete with a K dot com. And this was like a 2011 or something. And like even back then, a dot com was rare to have one word dot com. Yeah. I thought it looked sick, just concrete with a K. So I bought it for like five thousand bucks, and that's it. That's that's, that's awesome. There's no <laughs> there's no like deep explanation for it. It's just it was available and it looked cool online. It looked cool." There's no better reason. The word looks cool. K-O-N-C-R-E-T-E. There's no better reason to do it than that. (laughs) And it's not hard to like, like when you see it, you know what it is, right? It's not like, uh, oh, what are all those, like it's concrete. Yeah. People misspell it all the time, which probably uh, is not good for like discovering it on the internet, but whatever. I enjoyed talking. I'm excited to uh, talk more.
Hell yeah, man. I, I, uh, I, I hope you're going to come on my podcast because I think that'll be a good one. I want to talk about like crypto and all that shit with you. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends, and I'll see you all for the next episode.